You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. From the best-selling authors of The Daily Stoic comes the ultimate stoicism guide to success, resilience, and virtue. To accept what you cannot control and adapt to what you can, a philosophy sports teams across the country are successfully adapting. Lives of the Stoics, the art of living from Zeno, Marcus Aurelius is available now wherever books are sold. Welcome in to a Wednesday edition of the Locked On NFL podcast. I'm James Erpina, along with Tony Wiggins. We come at you every single day. Uh, Tony and James uh, with you every single Wednesday, but this podcast daily, and we have a ton to get to, Tony. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, in segment three, Kyle Crabb's going to join us to, to look at the rookies and, and uh, from Locked On NFL Draft. Segment two, we're going to check in on the New York team, specifically the Jets. Ooh. Dumpster fire. Yes. Uh, but, but let's start with the, the news of really all of Tuesday uh, and, and what's going on with the Tennessee Titans, what's going on with the Vikings and Steelers. Um, three Tennessee Titans players have tested positive for COVID-19, according to multiple reports. Five staffers that are in direct contact with the players have also, uh, as we record this, have tested positive for COVID-19. And that's left some wondering if the game this weekend between the Titans and the Steelers is going to happen. Now I can say the Titans are not in their facilities right now. Right. Uh, Diana Rossini reported, and I think she was the first to report that they're not going to return to team facilities until Saturday at the earliest. So that's interesting considering the game with the Steelers is scheduled for this Sunday. Also the Vikings who played the Titans on last Sunday, they have evacuated their facilities as well and have gone to uh, virtual meetings Etc. So, Tony, th this was bound to happen at some point. You know, I, I don't think that the NFL needs to postpone week four or anything like that, like right. some have, have suggested. But uh, it, it is certainly a reality check that after all of training camp of kind of dodging a, a full team outbreak uh, of sorts and, and really having a good control of this over the first few weeks of the season, that COVID-19 is still here and that these players and, and coaches and, and team members, everybody's going to have to be safe. And if not, that, you know, you could test positive and kind of derail things a bit. You know what? I, I, I'm going to give the NFL credit because, James, to be honest, I almost forgot about it, at least from football. From the standpoint of football, I almost forgot about it, with the exception of the fact that there weren't people in the stands. And obviously, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've done such a good job with it. It, it kind of was like a gut punch today a, a little bit. I was like, whoa, this is serious because – these these teams won't be there till Saturday. They won't even be in their facility. And I did see a tweet right before we start recording that said that Vrabel told his team to be ready, that there won't be any excuses, that if, if, if all they get to do is a walkthrough before the game Sunday, then that's all they're going to get and, and fine. And you, you better be prepared. And uh, if anything, what the abbreviated offseason has prepared these guys to do is suck it up. But uh, as much as coaches always like to talk about being prepared and about having guys in the facility, they've done a pretty good job this offseason. And now if, if Rabel is able to pull this off and, and the, you know, the Steelers are able to pull this off and, and the Dolphins, I mean, I'm sorry, the Vikings are able to pull this off, 
it'll be another, you know, notch in, in the belt of, well, you, you don't need all of that time that you always say that you need. You know what I'm saying? Especially with this new CBA and all of that stuff coming up. So the thing is, is it was a little bit of a gut punch today. And it kind of reminded us, that, you know, to, to not take things for granted. I completely agree. Uh, you know, it, it's a dose of reality at the same time. I thought it was going to happen sooner. I did. And I think that in the last I saw, Adam Schefter said that the NFL wants to move forward in hopes that they'll be able to play this week. They, as in the Steelers and Titans, and the, the option is on the table to even move it to Monday night if they need to, which I think is interesting. The, the key to all of this is, is these organizations being flexible, which right. they, they have been, obviously. But look, the Titans may have to prepare the, you know, and, and do all of their meetings and everything virtually and not have many you know much if at all in-person practice this week which i think they can do because nfl teams do it every year when they have the thursday games right you cover the jags they had to do it last week i covered the Bengals two weeks ago they had to do it and they don't really practice at all right. <laughs> during that that short week so i think it's doable is it ideal? No, but we're doing a lot of things that aren't ideal right now that you just have to adapt to. So I think that's the key to this. In uh, Roger Goodell did come out and say that all of these guys were uh, quarantined right away the moment they tested positive right. and they have the contra contact tracing and all of that stuff. So I think the NFL has done a good job here and I know some are leery of it and, and we're, you know, especially initially wondering how's week four going to play out. But it, it feels like, at least as we record this, that uh, week four should, and I don't want to jinx anything, but should move on as, uh, as expected in, in that, you know, Steelers, Titans, I, I don't want to say they should play, but, but it feels like there's a good chance that, that the NFL is going to find a way to get them out there on the field, whether it's on Sunday as scheduled or on Monday. Well, what this will be is this will be the NFL's Marlin situation without the drama, without – the guys doing anything egregious and going out. Of course, we don't know how this was, how this was, you know, contracted or whatever, but I, I don't think it's going to be any of that. But what I mean is this will be the test case of how we proceed and move forward. The fact that the NFL was so swift, they were transparent. Uh, I am worried about the coaches because the coaches are the guys that aren't young and fit and for the most part, you know, and, and their family. So that's how they handle that from this point forward with the with the the multi-city travel this isn't an nba bubble situation but the marlins after the marlins uh situation in major league baseball baseball sort of galvanized and took things a little bit more seriously and everyone got it together now they're they're they haven't had any more problems so what the the nfl is going to do is the nfl is going to use this as a way and it'll be sort of a I wouldn't say uh, uh, it'll be almost like a textbook way of how to deal with this moving forward. So the season doesn't get interrupted though. But I, I like what I see so far in terms of how they're handling it and, and how they're being transparent with it and how they, they went on straight up operation shutdown at these facilities to try to go ahead and, and, and get everybody quarantined and, and get the testing done. And so far so good for Minnesota that no one's tested positive. So we'll see, uh, moving forward, how things go, and hopefully for the fans, man, because it's been a, it's been a real good thing for the fans to get football back, even in, in a limited capacity. I ha I am uh, happy that it's gone off this way, and we've been able to cover these games the way that we've we've been able to. I completely agree with that. And, and one more point here, and I think this is very important from a media perspective. And obviously, we're both in the media. And you mentioned the Marlins situation, and when that happened, and I get it. We have less information than sports. We're just coming back. 
But the media specifically panicked and said, baseball is never going to work. It's over. Oh my gosh. Just end the season. Cancel it. No sports 2020. And, and that can't happen. Like th there are going to be athletes that can track COVID-19, probably coaches, like you mentioned. Um, and it is concerning. And, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, being sensitive towards that at the same time, I think there's definitely a clear difference between the way people reacted, specifically the media, because fans can react however the hell they want. I'm never going to tell you how to react. But the way the media covered that and the way they covered this situation with the Titans, Vikings, and Steelers, I think there was less panic. I think it was more, okay, this is happening, and this is what we're hearing about how it's going to proceed, how, what they're doing. They're closing up shop right now and going virtual, which is – to me, the way you cover it, you don't panic. <laughs> and, right. and, and I think that's what happened a couple weeks, you know, a couple months ago with the Marlins. And that's, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, our responsibility. Obviously, we know COVID-19 is serious and, and dangerous, and I'm not downplaying that at all. But I, I'm also not going to freak out as, uh, you know, if, if the team I cover, if one of their players tests positive, or if they have five positive tests, I'm not going to lose my mind and take cancel the entire season because that's just – it's unrealistic and, and, and it's not my job to panic in that it's my job to tell the story. And, and right. I think the media did a better job of that, which then it helps the reaction of NFL fans across the country when they see news like they saw on Tuesday afternoon. Absolutely. We got some more news too. We got some good stuff coming up. We're going to talk about, uh, I, I love when I can bring up greats from the past. You talk about members of the media, Pete Axtell. I mentioned this before, called it the great, uh, the big green fungus in New York. We're going to talk about Adam Gase. Adam Gase's job that he may not have uh, beyond this week, according to reports, there's some reports out there that uh, you know, multiple people, Benjamin Albright and uh, Colin Cowher, both have said that they've heard that if Gase doesn't beat Denver, he's going to get that pink slip. So we'll talk about that. We'll do that uh, on the Wednesday edition of Locked On NFL in just a second. I got to first tell you about our friends at Visa. Now more than ever, it's important to show support for your team and your community. Visa and the National Football League know that local businesses help your community move the ball down the field. Small businesses everywhere are overcoming challenges in these new times thanks to teammates like you and Visa. Because when everyone pitches in, everyone benefits. Being loyal to local businesses ignites growth and supports all of us and our communities because they know that where you shop matters. Visa urges you to support local retailers who are making shopping safe and reliable. And remember, tap to pay with contactless Visa wherever you see the contactless symbol to help support your community. Visa, the official partner of the NFL. All right, welcome back to Locked On NFL on a Wednesday. It's James Rapine along with Tony Wiggins. That's Locked On Bengals and Locked On Jaguars. We actually face off against each other this week, and we'll be doing crossovers. We got Joe Cool against Minshew and the Mustache. So we'll be doing that, and we'll be uh, talking to each other. It'll be a little meaner probably when we do our crossover. We're being nice on the national stage today. Uh, someone who's not being nice and traditionally probably are not very nice are New York Jet fans and New York Jet media. They're probably being a little bit mean to Adam Gase around these times, uh, James. And I don't think uh, nobody's going to take up for him because I don't think he's done a lot to justify being taken up for the Jets to, for lack of a better word or term, the Jets look awful right now. And he's alienated 
a lot of his star players and talent the same way he did in South Florida. I did not like the hire when they did it. I was just as puzzled as he looked when he was at the podium when he got the job. Uh, uh, apparently, Gase is on the hot seat, according to Colin Cowherd and people like Benjamin Albright on Twitter. So I'll leave it up to you. Do you think that he has a mandate to beat Denver? And if he beats Denver, is it going to be a mandate every week? So uh, do they have to go 13-3 and three for him to keep his job, or is he fired the next time he loses? I think if he gets blown out by Denver, which is, is hard for me to imagine given their, their quarterback situation, but if he does, and the Jets certainly have a bunch of injuries and should probably lose that game, then you could see it, but but here's the case, and I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I wasn't a fan of the hire. I don't think he should have gotten the job. I think there were better, certainly better candidates, and I just don't like Adam Gates because he seems to alienate every single one of his top talented players, whether it's Le'Veon Bell now, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry back in the day. I mean, think about Kenyon Drake. I feel like, you know, it was just one guy after another. Uh, they had an issue with. And I might be wrong on Kenyon Drake. Uh, it might have been the other Dolphins or anybody. But either way, like it seemed like any skill player with the Dolphins, he had an issue with. Um, but but to me, he went 7-9 and nine last year with the Jets. They had a ton of injuries. Sam Darnold battled mono. Um, they were flawed on the offensive line. They still don't have any weapons. Uh, their second-round pick, Denzel Mims, hasn't played much. Uh, Jamison Crowder went down. Like there's a lot of reasons why. Mekhi Becton got injured yesterday, their first round – or last week – their first round pick. He's a good so, player. He's a good so player too. He is, dude. He's stud out of Louisville. And, and so like, am I shocked that they're 0-3? No. You know, in, in a lot of that probably does have to do with injuries, but this is what it comes down to. And, and when you have a young quarterback, these years are priceless and it feels like the Jets are wasting Sam Darnold. Is Adam Gase the guy to get the most out of him? Do you need to see him with another coach to to really decide whether or not you want to pay Sam Darnold? Because he's in year three now. You need to decide soon. And that that's what it's going to come down to. And so they never should have hired him because of this. I mean, he's 7-12 and 12 as head coach of the Jets. They've dealt with a ton of injuries. And for the most part, they don't have a – you know, a high-end roster. I think it's a bad roster. You know, they traded their best defensive player this offseason. They've, they've dealt with a bunch of injuries. Here's the problem, though, Tony. What does Gase do well? He's known know. for his offensive ingenuity, but I just said he's not putting Sam Darnold in a position, you know, for success. I don't know what he does well. And, and that's what you really need to rely on when, when that seat does get hot. You're like, oh, well, hey, I'm at least getting the most out of Sam Darnold. Well, you're not. You know what bothers me about him? And so I, I buy it completely. Sorry, you know, go ahead. You know, I'm going to tell you what bothers me about him. What bothers me about him is he always looks like the guy who coaches as if he's coaching a bunch of players that he didn't pick. And he wants you to know it. And, you know, I don't like Le'Veon Bell. I'm going to coach him, but they're not my guys. Urban Meyer said something that was very compelling. Urban Meyer says, once you sign on the dotted line, whether you like them or not, they're your players. They're yours. So don't be trying to, you know, make this seem like, well, I got to get my guys in here. No, they're your players if they wear your uniform. And he always looks like he's coaching uh, almost with this facetious look on his face like, well, I don't want, I don't want that running back. I don't want that quarterback. I'm not going to play this second-round pick because I didn't pick him. That's Joe Douglas's pick. You know what I mean? And it's almost like he has an extra grind because he's not the guy shopping for the groceries. Well, uh, he needs to understand something. Joe Douglas isn't going anywhere. It's going to be him. He's going to be the one out of the door. 
And he has that same arrogant look on his face that he had in Miami. And he probably needs to realize that, you know, this isn't going to work for him. And this is, this is going to be his last stop. And they're going to give other people a chance, like Eric B. Enemy, who called, you know, a fabulous game last night. Speaking of which, let's get to the Monday night game. Baltimore has a – I call Tennessee Jacksonville's ingrown toenail. Baltimore has an ingrown toenail named Kansas City. And if they, they cannot – I don't care what they do, they don't seem like they can beat them. No matter, no matter who they add, they add Clays, Campbell, and all. Kansas City just has their number. I don't care if they play in KC, Baltimore, if they play on the moon, if they play on Frozen Lake Erie, they will not beat Kansas City. They won't. The only way they will, Tony, is if Lamar Jackson takes the next step. That, that, that's the key. In, part of that might be get, giving him better receivers because for some reason uh, the entire world has uh, um, crowned Marquise Brown, who I think is a nice player, as this you know, Tyree Kill 2.0, and he's just not there yet. Yeah. Uh, but, but Lamar Jackson missed him a couple times on Monday night. Threw him short a couple times where if he put some air under it, specifically in that fourth quarter when the, the Ravens had some momentum, you get an easy touchdown. Those are the things Pat Mahomes does, and he really puts pressure even on a defense as great as the Ravens. And I think that's what you're going to see is the Ravens are going to try to add another, speaking of pressure, pass rusher to try to get to Pat Mahomes because they they did not sack him on Monday night, which given how that Kansas City line looked against the the Chargers the week prior, I thought they were going to get to him. And I thought that Ravens defense was going to – slow him down a little and, and, and they didn't, I mean, he was just flawless. Shout out to Andy Reed. You mentioned the enemy. The enemy is going to be a head coach. This is it for him in Kansas city. Yeah. <laughs> Write it down. This dude is going to uh, get a head coaching job this off season. He deserves it. Um, just all the different, you know, uh, motions that the chiefs have and the, the different ways that they get guys in space. It's, it's something really to watch. And Mahomes is really talented and everything. But the way they're able to scheme guys open uh, is just amazing there. So I, I agree with you, though. I mean, the Ravens, they're going to have to change some things. if they're. And I think top to bottom, they might be more talented than Kansas City from a roster standpoint. But they're, they're going to have to change some things if they're going to take down the Chiefs in the playoffs. Yeah. The thing that's so dangerous about the Chiefs is once they won it, now they, now they know they're good. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like that DNA. You you get that gene in you. Like once you want it, now they walk around with their head up. They, they walk around like the Patriots now. They walk around like that team that just oh, we want it now. So we we got it all figured out. Someone else that seems to have it figured out, man. Russell Wilson. What else can he do? What what else can <laughs> Russell Wilson do? Russell Wilson is is the real deal. I had a a, a brief spat, not really an argument. About five years ago, the guy that told me Russell Wilson was not a Hall of Famer in the press box. And uh, too bad uh, the, the, the press box is sort of thinned out right now because I want to look that guy in his face and go, you still want to have that debate with me now? Russell Wilson is the cold hearted truth, man. And they're doing it different, differently in Seattle. I, I know um, the 12th man wishes they could be there to watch it because Russell Wilson, might he might throw 60 touchdowns this year. I said it last week. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. He does more with less. And here's the crazy part, Tony. He's doing it with guys. And I, DK Metcalf is good and, and Lockett's good. He doesn't have a great receiver. Imagine when he gets if, – if Josh Gordon's even 60% of the Josh Gordon 
you know, which I think he has been over the past couple of years, uh, you know, 2013, 2014 in that range, then he's going to have, you know, another legitimate weapon that they can use downfield. What if they add another player at the deadline, which I honestly, I would probably do. I would try to go get another big time receiver. You're talking about AB? You're talking about AB maybe? Uh, I I know Wilson wants him. Uh, You know, I know Wilson wants him. Uh, And and I do think someone is going to give Antonio Brown another shot. And I think I'm in the minority there. I just think it's going to happen, whether it's Seattle or somewhere else. But yeah, I I think, uh, by the way, I I think he would totally be a, a model citizen. It, it, you know, with Russell Wilson, yeah, I, I just do. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think he would. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's early to be talking about MVP, and you know, there's plenty of of guys that are going to be in the running. Pat Mahomes is certainly up there as well. But I don't know how you wouldn't give it to after three weeks, give it to Russell Wilson with the way he's playing and what he's doing in Seattle. I tell you who my comeback player of the year uh, year is is Aldon Smith. He might be my comeback player of the decade. Aldon Smith, you know, to give you some backdrop, Aldon Smith has had so many, so many substance abuse problems, has been in and out of jail, DUIs. A little personal note, his aunt, Katrina, is a real good friend of my wife's. And it it it, it hurt her. It hurt her really, really bad. And uh, it's to the point where, you know, my wife would see and talk to her occasionally. She wouldn't even bring it up and uh, because they were very, very close. It is so good to see him doing well. And, you know, you, it's like Josh Gordon. Those are the, the guys with those problems. Randy Gregory, the guys with those problems, man. You just hope, you hope you – Antonio Brown's a little different because he's a little weird. But this is – when you talk about substance abuse and, and guys that have alcohol problems, you just hope and hope those demons, especially when they're really, really nice people. And for all intents and purposes, everything I've ever heard about those guys I mentioned are really, really nice people. They just have these issues. It's good to see Aldon Smith get himself together. And, and, and he has Hall of Fame ability. Hall of mm-hmm. Fame. He's leading the league in sacks. So hopefully he can stay on the straight and narrow. How many pass rushers, Tony, can get to Russell Wilson three times in the same game? Yeah, and look like that after basically four or five years and not even really being able to play. Mm-hmm. It, it is it's a testament, man, to just that natural athletic ability that we talk about that guys have, man. And you know, you, you know, you're born like that, bro. It is, it is uncanny. It is really, really uncanny, and, and it's, uh, it just shows you how good that kid could have been had he, had he stayed on course. But it's good to see him doing it now. It's good to and see him. And you can you could tell he's more mature because the only way he's ha- – and the only reason he's having this success is because he's doing everything right off the field. Right. Because, he's, he, you know, he's not doing the stuff that he used to do. Because right. he was good before, but, you know, there, there, were, all, there, there were always times where it was like, eh, is he – you know, is he at, you know, reaching his full potential? Well, right now it looks like he's playing to his full potential, which, you know, the Cowboys got to steal. I mean, he's one of the bright spots on a defense that, you know, has given up 33 points a game. Yeah. Yeah. And they played a tough schedule too. So last week we talked to Matt Derry of Locked On Lions and the Lions won. Um, we, we're not talking to anybody. We, we, you know, I'm going to talk to uh, Kyle Krabs in a minute because I talked to him last week when the Dolphins and Jags were playing. And I said that, the Jags are going to beat up on the Dolphins like they stole something. And what do you know? The, the, they got off the schneid. So they beat the Jaguars on national TV like the Jaguars stole something. So uh, I'm probably not going to brag anymore about who I think are, are really, really bad teams. We already talked about the Jets. With our luck here on uh, Locked on Jaguar, I mean, I'm sorry, Locked on NFL Wednesday, with our luck, the Jets are going to win this week. That's, 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 that's the way it's going to go. Okay, that's the way it's going to go, man. But look. We got Kyle Krabs coming up in the next segment. We're going to talk rookies. We're going to talk NFL draft. And then 
We'll be back with you guys, uh, of course, daily with Locked On Bengals and Locked On Jaguars. And then James and I will be back with you, of course, next Wednesday with all of the action. So hopefully, 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 uh, we won't have any more COVID outbreaks and the league will go on as usual. Uh, all right, James, man, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And, and, and we'll get with you with a crossover, man, and, and we'll talk Bengals and Jaguars. And, and, and please subscribe on these podcasts, man, on, on Google Podcasts and, and follow along on Spotify and on Apple and Google. Check me and James out on our daily podcast as well. Kyle Krabs coming up from Locked On Dolphins and from uh, Locked On NFL in just a second here on Locked On NFL. All right, as promised, the third, uh, third segment of Locked On NFL here on a Wednesday. Uh, it's always about draft. It's always about rookie. It's always about guys who perform. And speaking of performance, my man Kyle Krabs from Locked On NFL uh, draft, Locked On NFL draft, Locked On Dolphins, all of that stuff. Kyle, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Anytime you can get me to talk about rookies, the NFL draft, I'm in. So you offered, and I jumped on it. I said, absolutely, let's make sure we get it done. No doubt about it, man. You know, all these draft experts, they join me and James Rapine every single Wednesday. I'm going to do the heavy lifting right now uh, with Kyle. First of all, I got to tell people, we did a crossover last week because it was Dolphins and Jaguars. Mm -hmm. I did something I never do. I boldly picked the Jaguars, <laughs> and I used stuff like they're going to skull drug them and Peter roll them. I boldly predicted that the Jaguars – would beat the Dolphins' brains out, and what do you know? The Dolphins beat the Jaguars' brains out. So that's what I get for stepping on a grenade and going outside of my character and doing stuff like that. I tried to talk a little smack, man, and you know what? About halftime, I was like, I wonder if Krabs is going <laughs> Listen, Tony, Tony, I don't know if you noticed, I took the diplomatic route last I Thursday. I said, yeah, man, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't have been surprised if Jacksonville won the game, but – but I, I got real up for the Buffalo game, and, and we lost a close game. So I said, you know, my tail's between my legs a little bit. I'm going to keep it simple. Yeah, I was kept looking at my phone. My wife goes, why are you looking at your phone? I say, this dude in Miami, man. I know he's going to say something to me because I've given him hell all day. Yeah. So looking at the league right now, what I'm noticing is a lot of rookies, whereas in the past at certain positions, a lot of rookies are really, really making an impact. So I was scratching my head trying to figure out, is it because, especially offensively, that most of the coaches now are running a lot of stuff that they run in college. Like they devalue the running back position. And now these running backs are getting paid. Is that because they're running so much stuff from college that these kids are coming in and usually running backs for a while took a while because of pass protection and they didn't know where their head was spinning. But now these kids are coming in and they're ready to play. Look at James Robinson down in, in, in down here in my neck of the woods in Jacksonville. They're ready to go. They're ready to play. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, I think it's interesting depending on the position. I, I know, uh, Tony, you and I on the pre-show, we talked a little bit about how uh, the wide receiver position is notorious for having that kind of lag for guys, or at least it was. And then in recent years, you see some of these guys who step in and there's a lot of production right away. And I think you're definitely on to something as far as the trends of the game, the natural spacing. You know, you can look at it from a running back perspective. You can look at it from a wide receiver perspective. It's skill players specifically – Backs in the backfield, because so many teams now naturally space it out there, manufacturing a lot of those light boxes and light box counts that running backs are used to seeing at the college level with so many of these spread offenses, these wide receivers, these rookie wide receivers come in. And because there's so much more room to work because defenses are stretched so much both horizontally and vertically, they're gifted a lot of more room to naturally work. 
So they're not going to be up on the line of scrimmage and have guys bullying him and beating him up in press and inexperienced route runners not being able to get off the line of scrimmage in time. So I definitely think the trends of the league are moving in a way that is going to be much more friendly for a lot of these spread offense weapons to come into the pro game and make a bigger impact right off the bat. I was at training camp in, in Jacksonville on the sideline a couple of years ago, and a buddy of mine was a team scout. He's actually coaching back in, in college at the Power 5 level now. And he told me something that blew my mind. And this is when Gus Bradley was here, and he was running that single high Seattle defense. Mm-hmm. He blew my mind when he told me, he said, the hardest thing to find these days because of the way these kids are coached in college. He says quarterback is always the priority, but free safety is the most, you ask any coach free of finding a college free safety is the most difficult thing to find out there outside, especially a guy that can play like Earl Thomas. It is the most difficult thing for coaches at the NFL level to find because of the way that they're playing is they're not playing the way NFL defenses want them to play. That's why you can count really, really good single high free safeties. You can count those guys on one hand. Mm-hmm. You're I, absolutely I, right. Yeah. So there's just a tremendous value on those guys right now, right? Yeah. And it's unfortunately based on what we've seen to this point in the 2021 NFL draft eligibles, it ain't going to get better this year either. You know, the safety class, in my opinion, is one of the weaker groups. You got, kind of specialist guys. You got guys like Paris Ford up in Pittsburgh, and he's a striker. And you got Hamsa Nasser Ladin from Florida State, who's coming back off a knee injury. And he's kind of one of these hybrid safety roles. But guys that can play like high post, be the quarterback of the secondary, make the calls, have sideline to sideline range and a bunch of ball production. Man, I, I don't see that guy in this year's class. And there are probably 16 teams across the NFL that would kill to have a stud at that spot. And five of the other teams already have those kinds of guys. And the other two play a bunch of zone coverage, so they don't really need a guy because they play too high anyway. So it, they're so hard to come by. And you're absolutely right. And that's been, you know, obviously me running Locked On Dolphins, the show with, with Miami. That's one of the biggest positions of need that we have as well. And I don't, I don't have an answer for that spot. You so think, you, you, there's, there's you so think, many teams in conflict. You think there's a guy in Pittsburgh who, who probably could play that position right now? Uh, you think? Yeah. Well, you, you just had to rub a little bit of salt back in the wound <laughs> after the Thursday night game, didn't you? Yeah, man. I mean, come on, Minka. I mean, I, I, I always thought he was a, that's what he was, but well, we ain't gonna talk about Mika. But but I, it's Thank just you. like, it, but but it just it does it kills me. Like okay, you trade the guy away, and now you're looking for it. But you you brought up a good point, so that leads me into this. All last week, I saw all the draft guys, you know, guys like you. Uh, I don't know if you did it, but I know a lot of guys. Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, who's here in Jacksonville. I saw a lot of guys talking about this kid Chin up in uh, Carolina. Now he's not the rookie I thought in Carolina that I hear a lot about. What is he and what is the comp? Because I know body-wise, he's built like uh, he's built like uh, Derwin James. Is, is he that or what is he? Because I hear he's a wrecking ball that's causing a lot of problems right now for a lot of people. Yeah, he was one of the most fun studies that I have had throughout the course of the pre-draft process in uh, through the 2020 NFL draft because he's so explosive and versatile. He's from Southern Illinois, so he's from a small school and. You know, there, there were some skeptics there as far as like level of competition and whether that meant he was 
able to handle the pro game at an early level or if he was going to need to develop. And it just turns out what Carolina has been able to do with him to this point is just let him be an elite athlete and they move him all around the field. And this is a dude that's 6'3", 220, and ran 4'4", 5", with a 41-inch vertical jump. So one of the most explosive defensive prospects in this year's draft. I had a second-round grade on him. He goes in round two. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, he is a C-ball, get-ball missile in pursuit. So mm. ball skills really aren't where he's going to shine a lot. Granted, he had 13 interceptions at Southern Illinois, but – that's, a, that, that's more of a testament to the level of competition. You watch him and his college tape, and you can see, okay, he's so much of a better athlete that he's able to cover a lot more ground than what he'll be able to do at the pro game. But that explosiveness showing up, whether it's as a linebacker, a guy that is on the third level, those hybrid safeties that I alluded to when we were talking about Nasser Ladine from Florida State, mm -hmm. chess piece, defensive chess piece, and he's kind of stepping into a role in Carolina – that a lot of people anticipated you would see the Arizona Cardinals use Isaiah Simmons for. Oh, my God. I was going to bring that up. I was yep. going to bring that up. We're speaking with Kyle Krabs here, draft expert with Locked On NFL Draft and Locked On Dolphins. Okay, you brought it up because I was going to ask you. Now, that's an organization. They, they might be getting sick of drafting guys that are – they took a kid from Temple a couple of years ago, and he ain't worked mm -hmm. out. They might be getting a little bit tired of drafting these dudes because I saw a, a graphic the other day. I believe that Isaiah Simmons played 18 snaps. You don't yeah. pick a guy at seven or eight or wherever they picked him. What's going on with him? Is he having a problem adjusting? Do they not know how to use him? What, what's the problem with Isaiah Simmons? And is that something that we're going to see uh, get alleviated? Do you think he has the skill set to make an adjustment? Is he going to have to adjust or are they going to have to figure out a way to use him? I, I do think there is a little bit of square peg and round hole where they're trying to full-time play him at linebacker. And uh, the best case scenario is he needs developmental time. And then from an athlete and size perspective, he can kind of his play, if he mentally grasps the position can emulate that of Tremaine Edmonds, who was a top 20 pick for the Buffalo bills a couple years ago as a super young, but super athletic prospect from Virginia tech. But he's really struggling with, reads on the second level, anticipating, flowing. He's not a guy who is really, or, or even at Clemson, had a lot of success striking and discarding blocks. Well, on the second level with a slow processor, you naturally become a sitting duck on the second level. And now, Tony, this is the, this is the kicker. They're now starting to tease like, yeah, we may have to look into moving him back to safety. Mm -hmm. This is the exact Thing they did with Hassan Reddick right. that you just alluded to, where they drafted him to play off-ball linebacker. Halfway through his rookie season, they have Marcus Golden go down on the edge, so they move him to edge rusher, and he's like a 225-pound edge rusher with no length, and it's a losing battle. And then the next offseason, they try to move him back to linebacker, and now you've lost so much development time, you kind of just pull him back and forth, and he never really gets time to settle into a position. And that's the concern that I have with Isaiah Simmons looking at him now. You chose to not put him in a position of, of, for success right away. That's fine, but now you got to be patient with him. But if you start moving him around and asking him to do too much when he can't grasp what's already on his plate, you're setting him up for failure. Man, player development. And we hear Lewis Riddick talk about this all the time. And a buddy of mine, Pete Prisco, talks about this all the time too. Player development. Procuring talent is one thing, but – putting them in the proper positions. Like we see Miles Jack right now playing like one of the best five linebackers in the NFL. 
But player development and putting them in a position to be successful is more important than actually making the pick itself, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's one of those things that's a catch-22 for a lot of teams at the NFL level because you want to put players in a position to have success and you want to cater them and, and help them grow and advance. But the NFL is called not for long for a while because a lot of these coaches come in and they're on a hot seat and they feel pressure to win. And then you have regime changes and a new coach comes in and, well, I want my guys instead of the guys that the old regime picked. And they're not interested in working with somebody else's dudes. So you kind of get this toxic cycle of unless you're a team that has a lot of high stability within the organization from the top down. And that ironically is why you see so many of these teams. How many times has the Pittsburgh Steelers let a linebacker or an offensive lineman go, and they've got a guy waiting in the wings that seamlessly steps into that spot. Right. There. It's not, it's not a coincidence. Right. Especially, just, especially a wide receiver. They've done that a lot with receivers too. Yeah. Yeah. They're too, they're two they're drafting two years ahead of their personnel decisions, which yeah. is incredible to watch. Yeah, it, it really is. And back in the day, Dallas did that with, when they had Hudson Hawk, they let a lineman go and have another guy ready to plug right in there and, and go. Kyle, man, it's been real. It's always good. We can talk draft all day. I could listen to you talk all day, but that's not part of the deal, man. I got to let you go. Cause I know you're real, real busy. So Thanks for joining us here on Locked on Jaguars. I guess we're in the rotation. We'll see you in about four weeks here on the win. I said Locked on Jaguars. See, it's Locked on NFL. I'm so used to saying that it's rolling off my tongue. But we'll, uh, we'll see you in the rotation in about four weeks, man. We can do it all day, man. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Krabs. Kyle Krabs of Locked on NFL Draft and Locked on Dolphins here with us on Locked on NFL on a Wednesday.